Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm your host, Andrew Ojay, still alive and well, still breathing, still living life, and I'm very happy to be back with you here today. Let's meet the co-host for today. He's everyone's definition of fun in the sun, Mr. Nate Lungarini. Good to see you again, buddy. Hello, hello, everybody. Good to see you guys. Good to hear you guys. And I hope that you guys will appreciate the sounds of our voice in your earbuds again. It's been way too long. It's like being reunited with your long lost love hearing you again, Nate. (laughs) Hey, watch it. That's my man over there. Speaking of that, he's as fun to hang out with as a bad sunburn on a 4th of July day. Mr. Jake Hensler, how are you? Um, actually not sunburn, so you can eat that. (laughs) You look well, as as you would say to an ex. (laughs) Hey, I came to visit you recently. I know, and that was the the best time, but that's when I realized, you know, that we weren't working. So, it kind of, I've moved on. I've officially... Anyway, all jokes aside, it's very good to be back with you guys again. The Middle Seats is the best seat in the house for all things entertainment. If you have never listened to us before, which there is a probably a very decent chance that you are just joining us for the first time, usually our show is divided into three segments. We usually open with some kind of playful banter, lobby talk it's called, where we talk about a topic of the day proposed by one of the members of the crew. Then we talk about the biggest news of the week, and then we move into a feature review. Since we've missed so many times, and I know our adoring fans, aka our mothers, have been waiting for us to get back on the bandwagon, we wanted to kind of do a little recap, because we all have been, you know, life gets in the way sometimes, so we've been trying to get our set schedules, doing our best to kind of be adults, because we are out of college, we're trying to learn what to do, Nate got himself a fancy new apartment, Jake has been doing things, he's been... F and S up. <laughs> that was not even meant though, to be. Even though life gets in the way, life also finds a way. Right. That was a good segue into what we're doing today, which is we've missed about seven months of content. So why don't we recap the biggest movies we've missed? And we're going to start today with a triple review of the biggest movies that we've seen this summer. Avengers Infinity War, Incredibles 2, and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So there's a lot on the tap here. Guys, I'm very happy to be back with you. I hope you guys are just as excited as I am. I know I've been talking a lot. How are you all doing? Fantastic. Ready to just dive right into it, Drew. Yeah, and I think I'm feeling like Nate, fine and dandy. It's time to catch up on the homework, boys. So, gentlemen, let's jump right into it. Let's move into our first review. I think we're going to start first in chronological order, and we're going to talk about my most anticipated movie of the entire year, Avengers Infinity War. The entire time I knew him... He only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. We got one advantage. He's coming to us. Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. Perfectly balanced. As all things should be. 
So Avengers Infinity War, of course, opened on April 26th, not May 4th, like we originally thought it was. Last week checked in with you. They actually moved the date up a little bit. Directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. It's a record breaker. It stars everyone in Hollywood. I don't have to go through everybody. Basically, here's what it boils down to plot-wise. A villain, the Mad Titan Thanos, he wants to bring balance to the universe. And then teams of Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy, they work together to try to stop him with various things going on, various huge battles, various casualties, and various amounts of fun to be had. So guys, of course, this movie has so much to live up to. It's living up to a decade's worth of hype. It's trying to fill impossible expectations. Let's start with... I'm going to roll the dice in my head. Let's start with... Let's start with Nate. Nate, what did you think of Avengers Infinity War after all this time? I, like almost every single person that I've talked to, absolutely loved it. This movie literally defined hype for a generation of moviegoers. And not only did it live up to it, but it surprised almost everyone who came into that theater and walked out completely shocked at how the events played out. Um, blown away by the action sequences, loving all the characters that we've grown to love in the past 10 years of movies. It just was the complete package and a real, true blockbuster. Yeah, I don't know if there's any movie to specifically compare this one to. It's the big thing that I took away coming out of it. You know, it's just, it's, it's very unique in the history of film and in the history of blockbuster filmmaking. You know what I mean? There's just... There's no set film you can be like, Avengers Infinity War is like this. Absolutely. Jake, I know you're as big a fan as both of us. What did you think? Um, pretty much on board. Uh, like almost, like Nate said, almost everybody was happy with it. You know, it's not it's not really divisive. Almost everybody that went to see it liked it, loved it, was amazed, cried, laughed, was blown away. Um, not that I cried, but I'm in that, I'm in that you know, bandwagon. Um, Jake's like, I ain't no bitch. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't crying. Um no, I was I was super happy with it. I saw it I saw it twice. I was very happy with it both times. Um, there's so many good things to say about it, and I guess with that we can get into details. Um, Thor is officially the strongest Avenger. I don't care what anybody says. Thor is a badass. Thanos is also a badass, um, and I think we should talk about him first as far as details go because he is the big end all villain, uh, and I think he was written really well, acted really well. I think. Everything surrounding him just worked really, really well. What do you guys think? So I think, you know, every, there's been so much publicized about Marvel's big villain problem. You know what I mean? And it's it, Jake, you're right. It's fitting that we start with Thanos because he's basically the main character of this film. We've spent so much time getting to know all these other heroes, and they've been the main characters of their own films, that now they're kind of, they're kind of side pieces. They're important pieces, but on the chessboard, Thanos is without a doubt the king. You know what I mean? He is the one that everything is revolving around. Everybody's reacting to what he's doing. And it needed to work, and they needed to make sure that it worked. Uh, and I thought Brolin nailed it. You know what I mean? He does a really good job of making this villain compelling, this genocidal maniac. He has these understandable, if not agreeable, motivations, which we'll get into more as we go on. Um, general thoughts for me. I... I gonna kind of echo everything that everybody else has said at this point it's it's pretty much what you want um if this is your first marvel movie which it shouldn't be uh it's kind of <laughs> how it's, it's, yeah you right, might exactly. be confused but right exactly you're you're screwed that's that's the only way to say it really because this movie is a big piece of a big picture if that makes sense it's not 
It doesn't really work self-contained, but that's okay because it's been building to this and it's still building forward to the next pieces that are going to drop into place coming up soon. Um, so certain character arcs are in the midst. Certain character arcs are starting here. Certain characters are wrapping up arcs. And, you know, that can be a little overwhelming in less capable hands besides Kevin Feige, besides the Russo brothers, behind Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who are the writers. As Thanos would say, it's all pretty perfectly balanced overall. Um, it's funny. It's action-packed, as you would expect. And, yeah, it's just everything that you wanted it to be. Know what I mean? We've been so conditioned for disappointments that it's nice <laughs> to have something that's not disappointing. Um, yeah, I actually think it's pretty amazing how it's almost... I do know one person who really did not like it, but almost everybody else I know was very happy with it, which is... Who the heck was that? This is the same kid that doesn't like Pulp Fiction that triggered you that one time. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, 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 Different person. <laughs> um, um, yeah, as far as, like, like, there's a lot of franchises that people look forward to, and they, you know, some of them are disappointing, some of them are just turning out, eh. This is probably the most hyped movie our generation has ever seen, and everybody walked out of the theater like... Like, unanimous. Like, yeah, that was really good. That's remarkable. That doesn't happen. Right? How amazing is that? Yeah. That, that's what 10 years of a franchise will do. <laughs> it's so ingrained in pop culture, movie culture. I was literally speechless the entirety of the credits of this movie. And then as soon as I walked out of that theater, I wanted everyone to see it immediately so I could talk <laughs> to everybody about how crazy this movie was. I know. I think I saw it a day or two after you guys. I saw it on the the, sat, the first Saturday it was out. And I was like, we're all in a group chat. And I was like, guys, if you need to talk about it, I get it. I'm going to leave the group chat. Just let me know. Yeah, you had to, you have to go into Howard Hughes mode because this movie is almost impossible to talk about without spoiling. So yeah. I think we should make the pivot soon. Let's talk a little bit more yeah. general right now. Um, but the way I like to uh, liken it in my head is that Kevin Feige is the mad scientist pulling the strings behind the curtain. You know, Robert Downey Jr. might be his Igor. You know, he's <laughs> helping him out, you know, recruiting people into the cast, starting up the tone of the franchise. Uh, and this is his final, this is his Frankenstein's monster. You know what I mean? This is everything that he has been putting together. And the fact that it works is incredible. It yeah, is. it's alive. It's yeah. alive and punching. <laughs> it's alive. <laughs> alive yeah. and breaking box office records. Yeah, right. for real. Yeah, for and it's, real. it's... I don't think any of us are saying that this is a perfect movie, because it's not. No. When you are charting untouched territory like this, there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be certain things. Like, there are certain major characters here that kind of get the shaft at, at points just because... <laughs> You know, there's just so many things to balance that, you know, you... Right, because there's 50 of them. Right, exactly. So, so that was that was guaranteed to happen. However, the people that needed the focus got the correct focus, I think. Mm -hmm. um, more or less. I don't think this is a spoiler. I would have liked to see more Captain America screen time. Considering he's the poster boy besides Iron Man, I would have liked to see him a little bit more. That is one of the few critiques I actually do have. I was a little disappointed we didn't get more of Cap. Um, right. Just because he's such a staple... And Winter Soldier and Civil War have become, if if not, if not my absolute favorites, one of my absolute favorites. So I was hoping to get a little bit more of him, but again, you, you're not going to win them all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm I'm curious. Is this the biggest ensemble cast movie ever made? It has to be, right? It has to be. Can't think of anything like, else. There's, there's been huge casts, but literally 
every single main hero in this movie, even the side heroes, are all huge mm-hmm. names. Right. Don Cheadle's like Academy Award nominee. Like it's a big name. Right. Yeah. Looking at that poster gives me a stomach ache. There's too many people on it. Too many big names. Your your <laughs> eyes just gravitate. And not every even like Bradley Cooper's face isn't on there. But you know behind that fucking raccoon is Bradley Cooper. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. A great actor. <laughs> right. Um, we can't really do a deep dive into this film because there's just so much to talk about without going into spoilers. But before we go into spoilers, we usually like to give our ratings here. We rate movies on the seat scale. Um, here on the Middle Seats podcast. Here's the actual scale. Here's how things work. If we think a movie is really close to perfect, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is great but has a couple of flaws, but it's worth going to see in the theater and having a good time, we give it a plus recliner. If we think a movie has a certain amount of flaws, not too much, but is an enjoyable mess in its own way, we give it a wooden seat. If it's the inverse of that, where we think it has a lot of flaws, but there are some redeemable elements, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if a movie has almost no redeemable elements, we give it a sleazy outhouse, stinky sleazy outhouse. And also... Geostorm. Yeah. Geostorm would be a prime (laughs) example of one that we've recovered in the past that I think most of us gave a sleazy outhouse. I can't remember exactly, but... I also know that that was a happy death day thing for Nate as well. But we won't... Mm -hmm. We won't revisit the (laughs) negative past. We'll let the past die. Um, And... Just a little caveat to that. If we think the movie needs to be seen with a big crowd, if we need to see on the biggest screen possible, uh, we give it a little moniker called the Bag of Popcorn. Well, we'll just put that right next to the rating, right there in the corner where you can see it. Moving on, let's move it to... Let's do Jake this time. Jake, what do you give Avengers Infinity War? Uh, I'm a little stingy with Royal Thrones, but this is quite the uh, gem Infinity Stone encrusted plush recliner. Like... It's pretty much as amazing as you can get without being perfect. Or it's like it's not a perfect movie, but it's pretty damn amazing. Um, so I can't quite throw at the Royal Throne, but I'm very happy with giving it a, a uber expensive plush recliner with a bag of popcorn for sure. Abs- if you did not see this in theaters, I don't know what you were doing or why, but you, this should have been seen in theaters for sure. You can still see it. It's still in there. Yeah, I got it. That's true. Yeah, it's still in It'll there for there another couple months. It's true. In fact, it's can true. we wrap this up? I want to go see it again. Yeah. <laughs> if you have, if you didn't or still haven't, I don't know what to tell you. Just go ahead and do that because you're missing out. Right. Nate, how about you? Honestly, I didn't even give this a second of hesitation. This is an easy royal throne for me. I think for a movie with this big of a scale, spread out over so many years of movies able to pull off something that was still cohesive um still had all the fan service still had a incredible plot all this amazing things going for it in a way that still wasn't predictable after literally dozens of these movies is incomprehensibly cool it is one of yeah one of the biggest things we've ever seen in cinema and it it pulled it off. I had a blast with this movie. I saw it twice. I will happily get the DVD and continue watching it for many years to come until Avengers Infinity War 2 comes out and blows us all away again. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. But easy Royal Throne. This blew me and millions of people that saw it completely away. Yeah, I mean, it does its job. It does what it needs to do. Um, and it- more. And more, yeah. It's hard to. It's really hard to grade this movie, on the top because it it, it it's so self-contained and so exists in its own universe. Like I was saying, there's no comps to it specifically. 
Um, but I know in my gut that what it did was it gave me chills, it made my jaw drop, it gave me a great time, and it satisfied me to the point where, you know, I wasn't let down at any point. Um, it's not a perfect movie. I, I, I feel like I'm overdoing that qualification. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to make it clear that, like, any rating that I give it is not with a caveat, but with my head on my shoulders correctly, because there's just so much hype that you had to take away from it and just look at the movie as its own and just judge it in that regard. Um, so judging it like that, I'm giving it a very, very, very plush recliner. Not quite Royal Throne. Boo. Very, very close. It's it's close for me too. It's it's about as close to a Royal Throne, throne as you can get without quite getting there in my opinion. Right, I'm letting... Like Dark Knight, Dark Knight's easy Royal Throne. This one is like, doesn't quite... Get you guys are indecisive jerks. <laughs> I'm not indecisive. Right. I'm trying to. I'm trying to hype myself down oh, and am. grade. I'm trying to grade. <laughs> I'm like. No, he's right. I am indecisive. I can barely rate something on a one to ten scale, let alone a one to five. Right. No, I know. Yeah, you're. You're fucking. You guys got to put the report cards away and just have a good time. <laughs> You've always been indecisive, Jake. That's no. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm like, can I give it a seven point two? Maybe it's point yeah. four. I, don't I know. think my problem is the opposite. I'm too calculated, so I I know exactly where I have this. It is definitely top 10 Marvel, no problem with that. Top 5, we'll have to take a look at the list um, because Marvel's made some really fucking good movies. But yes, I would say Bag of Popcorn, of course, uh, if you haven't seen this in the biggest audience possible. I had an absolute blast with my opening night audience. You won't get that now, obviously, but you can rectify that mistake when you see Avengers 4 next year. Speaking of Avengers 4, let's pivot into our spoiler section. If you have not seen Avengers Infinity War, what are you doing? If you have seen Avengers Infinity War, join us right now. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So I think, you know, when you're talking spoilers for a big movie like this, you have to start with who died. You know, that's the one, that's the thing everybody's talking about. That's the big, like, water cooler discussion. Like, oh my god, did you see how they killed so-and-so? So just running down the major characters that bit it, in Avengers Infinity War. And this, I'm going to need to take a drink of water after this because there's so many. Uh, pre the snap, as it's called, where Thanos snapped his fingers and half the universe uh, disintegrated into oblivion. Loki, Heimdall, and Gamora, of course, tragically, in that heartbreaking father-daughter relationship. One of the strongest scenes in any Marvel movie, in my opinion, I, by the way. I would agree with that too, just the escalation of certain things. So strong. Um, but the snap takes out in order of, not in order of importance, in order of me remembering, uh, Black Panther, Falcon, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Bucky Barnes, Groot, Drax, Mantis, Star-Lord, Doctor Strange, Maria Hill, Nick Fury, and of course, Spider-Man. Uh, so, I guess out of that list, what surprised us the most, I guess? I mean, it was just surprising that there were so many of them for me, personally. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember when they all started fading. I was like, "Oh my god, what's going on?" And then it really hit me, like, "Holy hell, this is like really half of them are disappearing." But I think obviously everybody was tragic over Spider Man, but um, I think the one that hit me the most pre snap was Gamora. I was like, once once she started talking about how like he can't get it because he didn't love anybody, I was like, "Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up." Oh my god, this is happening. This is so sad. This is so real. This is so unlike Marvel. 
oh my god, I love how well executed it is, but oh my god, I hated it so sad. I just, I was blown away by how well they did that scene. Considering how happy Marvel is all the time, that really hit me hard. Yeah, I agree. Gamora's hit me hard, but what also hit me hard was Vision. Oh, yeah. Because you had that scene where Scarlet Witch is literally killing her lover to try to save the universe. And Thanos Mm -hmm. says, wow, that was cute. Brings him back to life (laughs) just to kill him again. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That was the jaw drop moment for me. Easy. Oh, my goodness. And then just the surprising deaths, seeing Black Panther go... Um, seeing Spider-Man go, when in the back of my head, like, oh my god, these are some of the most marketable characters in Marvel. How the heck are they killing them off? And in the moment, before you, like, sit and think about the financial decisions behind all this, in the moment, you're just blown away. And I would love to go back in time and rewatch this movie not knowing that information right. just so I could feel that shock again. Yeah. That, like that's something mm-hmm. you can never, ever experience for a second time. Like, it felt like a cruel joke. Mm-hmm. Like, and then you, yeah, and you're right. You Then you take a step back, you think about it, and you realize not only who exactly they killed are probably the future of the franchise, a lot of them. Like, we already know Spider-Man's getting another adventure. We already know Black Panther's coming back. Doctor Strange and, Guardians. and the Guardians are coming back. I don't know which Guardians are coming back because there's a chance that Gamora stays yeah, dead. Yeah, that's, that's what's interesting. Um... But you also take a step back and you're like, wait, the only people left pretty much are the original Avengers team. And you go, oh. <laughs> There's a reason for this. Because my the people that I thought got the biggest kind of push to the side in this one, the ones that I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. They didn't focus on them a lot. I agree, Cap. He's my favorite. He gets an amazing introduction, but he doesn't really do much after that. Well, I mean, it's not that he doesn't do much. He doesn't get a lot to do, like, character-wise, whereas, like, Tony, I feel like, was still progressing at points. Um, But we don't get really a lot of Black Widow. She gets a great fight with Okoye against, uh, I think her name's Proxima Midnight, or one of of Thanos' children. Um, I forget if that's the exact one. But they get a great fight scene, but Black Black Widow doesn't get a chance to do a lot. Bruce Banner doesn't really get a chance to do a lot. He has, like, a mini-arc, but they're not doing a lot with him. Hawkeye's not even in the fucking thing. (laughs) The original Avengers are still here, so you have to figure Avengers 4 is about, you know, that plays a huge role in it. There's a reason for everything that Marvel does. Oh, yeah. Aside from deaths, the one of the things I also really want to talk about is the introduction. Because, my God, how do you introduce a villain better than walking over Asgardian bodies and pummeling the Hulk like he's, like, 10 years old? Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh I... That was the first jaw drop moment for me when the Hulk goes at when the Hulk goes at him, and he basically just punches him in the collarbone to retreat him, yeah. barrages him a little bit more, and then Fireman carries him and like pile drives him to the ground. I was like, okay, well he's unbeatable. That's it. It's everybody else loses. It's like you can if just... Jake walked up to Mike Tyson and tried to pick a fight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was that that devastating. But worse. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> but worse. I was like, I was like, you could just end the movie here and just like roll credits. Yeah, he wins. That's it. Nobody can beat him. I did think it was kind of clever that they kind of made it, like, the Hulk's version of erectile dysfunction after that shit, where he's just like, because... No, I'm not fighting Right, exactly. I'm not doing anything anymore. (laughs) They established in Thor Ragnarok that Hulk is kind of, he's like a toddler at this point. He can can speak, he can think for himself, but he's got the mental capacity of a four or five-year-old. And that would make sense. He's a pouty toddler that's shy and doesn't want to come out now because he got his ass Mm -hmm. handed to him. 
Yeah. I agree. It was a great introduction. That was that opening scene and following the demise of the Hulk, he kills Heimdall and Loki. I was like, what a fucking ten minutes that right. was. <laughs> oh my! And then and then it just got better. I was like, oh my! What is happening? <laughs> it was brute force. It was great. Oh, amazing. I thought it was a fitting end for Loki too. Um, I'm glad mm-hmm. that it seems like this one is permanent. Um, and I think it was a nice send off for. Hiddleston as the as the character, you know what he went down as a hero, when it last came down right. to it, uh, and I think it sends right. Thor on this great revenge arc throughout the film. He has the most complete character arc I think throughout the film. Um, Definitely, I don't think it's I don't know if it's complete or not. But my favorite small scene. There's not a lot of time for the smaller scenes where the characters just talk to each other and they interact. It's a lot of big battles and a lot of big action moments where people are moving mm-hmm. to different places. Um, but I think my favorite small scene: Thor and Rocket have a conversation. And Thor's basically like, I've lost everything. What else do I have left to lose even if I lose my life in this fight? It's like, that's I'm paraphrasing, but it's just a little beautiful, beautiful moment, and it yeah. shows how far Hemsworth has come as an actor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you really do feel for him. And I, I love how um, Thor is not like the mainstream comic book character, but he's become such a fan favorite through good acting, writing, directing, producing the whole nine yards. He's just become such a... He's probably got the most screen time in the movie, along with Iron Man and Thanos, probably. Like, people, myself included, people love Thor now. He's awesome. So not only does he kick ass, but Hemsworth just does a great job. Right. Yeah, I think it just speaks to how well Marvel has picked these characters and molded these characters over time to the point where if you close your eyes and say, imagine this superhero... You're thinking about the movie. You might not be thinking about the comic books anymore if you're a fan because the movies have just really ingrained each of these actors into their role. Right. Yeah. Their casting is impeccable across the board. Mm-hmm. They just do mm-hmm. such a good job of picking the right people for it, including picking Brolin as Thanos, who the fact that he had me for a second being like, hmm, that kind of makes sense. Wait, you're a murderer. You're a really bad person. <laughs> like, he just does such a great job. He's clearly just this lonely this lonely being that thinks he's fulfilling his purpose, but his purpose is so fucked up that it's just <laughs> it's just devastating for everybody else when he gets what he wants, and he ultimately does. Oh my god. And I yeah. I love a movie where a bad guy wins just because it's not the norm. And right. to have that winning be so impactful, not just to the movie, not just to your emotions, but to the whole franchise. This is huge this is a turning point for marvel as a cinematic universe that it's built up to be for so long oh yeah and i i think it's it's huge that they got uh thanos right because like andrew said you know marvel has a bit of a villain problem but there were multiple times in this movie where thanos punches the audience in the gut i think first when he pummels hulk when um and then when he um he makes star lord try to kill gamora and it turns out as a reality alter that was tough actually killing Gamora was tough, killing Vision, like, there's so many moments where you go, oh my god, this guy is brilliant, but he sucks, I hate him, but he's amazing. Like, so many points in this movie. So good. And Marvel just did such a good job holding this card for so long. Every single Marvel movie up to this point has had a happy ending, where the hero, through whatever flaws they had, whatever obstacles they faced, managed to make the right decisions to get to the right ending. It doesn't matter in this movie because Thanos. Right. Thanos just (laughs) is so powerful. Thanos 
literally screw the rules. I'm Thanos. Yeah. Nothing yeah, you're going to I do win. can stop me. Period. Yep. Yeah. I will say this about <laughs> yeah. Marvel's villain problem. I've liked probably five of the last six of the villains. Um just thinking through real fast, I really like Michael Keaton's Vulture. I was obviously yeah, Ma- love Keaton's yeah, Vulture. Obviously, Michael B. Jordan's performance as Killmonger is amazing in Black Panther. Uh, I really like Kurt Russell as Ego. I thought Kate Blanchett was really fun as Hela and Thor Ragnarok. I just, they've been getting better. Like credit where credit is due. Um, so we need to we need to shift gears because we have two other movies to talk about here. Yeah, there's so many so, so much. <laughs> we can to we talk can talk about, about this but... all day. I'll give everybody one last chance to bring up one or two things that they liked. Uh, if very briefly. <laughs> uh, Nate, final things. Just go see the movie, man. Just nerd out with all of us and talk about what crazy things they could possibly do to top this in three Marvel movies from now when we get the final Avengers movie of this stage of the franchise. It's going to be huge. I can't wait. Yeah, just accept it. It's it's Marvel's generation. They're owning it. Nobody else can even compete. And then join in. I'm not one to conform or hop on the bandwagon, but this is a bandwagon that most people can enjoy if they give it a shot, if you haven't already somehow. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with Nate. Just an excellent experience. If you weren't convinced by now, there's a tall Peter Dinklage in this, so just go see it. That's all I got to say. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Anyway, from one superhero movie to another, we're going to pivot from my most anticipated movie of 2018 to my second most anticipated movie of 2018. Let's get incredible and talk about Incredibles 2. Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. Combustion imminent? What does that mean? Ah! It means fire, Robert. You know it's crazy, right? To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break it. Suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going, ASAP? You better be back. 14 years in the making, Incredibles 2 is directed by Brad Bird. It is the sequel to 2004's The Incredibles. They kept the on there. I don't know why they took the on off this time. The original Incredibles, in my opinion. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's definitely one of the best movies that Pixar's ever made in a lot of people's opinions. They've been craving the sequel. We've gotten three Cars movies in a time since the original Incredibles came out. So you knew it was time for this to come up. Uh, the film picks up right where the last one left off, um, where the Incredibles family uh, is fighting the Underminer. He's causing chaos. Uh, the Pars are left without any money. Uh, and they run across two uh, business people that want to make superheroes legal again. And their plan to do that is putting Elastigirl front and center with a camera on her body to kind of show the people what superheroes are all about and get away from the negative perception that have plagued them for so long. Leaving... Bob Parr at home to take care of the kids. So guys, kind of a bit of a role reversal from the first film. Uh, a lot on the line here. People have been waiting for this for a long time. Does it pay off? Jake Hensler, what did you think of Incredibles 2? Really good. Really fun. Um, definitely worth seeing for pretty much anybody of all ages. Um, but personally, nothing mind-blowing. Just another another really good, really fun, rock-solid time of the movies. Big fan of the first one. Not not blown away, but not disappointed by the second one. Good, happy with it. But yeah, nothing quite as mind-blowing like the first one, in my opinion. Nate, go ahead. I thought Incredibles 2 was really, really solid. Um, the first one is 
pretty darn close to a masterpiece in terms of both a spy movie and a superhero movie. <laughs> I think this one strays a little bit more on the superhero side of things, and that's not a bad thing, but it definitely has a different feel than the first one, in my opinion. But still thoroughly enjoyed it, not as much as the first one, but that is not a detriment to this film on its own merit. I think it uses all the characters in new, exciting ways. It's entertaining as all heck. And I'll echo Jake's thoughts that literally anyone will enjoy this movie, whether you're a family, whether you're kids, whether you're old goons like us that just grew up on the first one. Whether you're five <laughs> or 105, like you're probably going to enjoy it to some yeah. extent. Mm-hmm. It's it's just an enthusiastic, really happy, fun, cool movie. Right. So I think I don't I don't want to speak for everybody else, but I'm I'm so high on the first one. It's one top five movies of all time. I kind of covered that early on. Uh, I think it what sets it apart from other movies in this kind of genre is how it ably balances everything: uh, animation, humor, action, character, theme story, all of that comes into this perfect storm of just an amazing, amazingly told story. The first film is all about, like, what makes a superhero, you know what I mean? Bob has to prove why he's worthy to be a person to go outside the law behind his family's back to protect people. He kind of does it selfishly, then he comes out of his midlife crisis and realizes the sacrifices he has to make for his family is the most important thing. That movie's really deep with doing that. This, I felt... And I, I really like this movie a lot. It does a really good job naturally progressing where the story goes. Whereas the first film's about, like, what makes a superhero. This is about, okay, we now know what makes a good superhero. Why should we trust them? It's all a matter of perspective. And this is kind of The Incredibles adapting to the modern superhero landscape. Because think about it. There's so many superhero movies that are like this now. This is The Incredibles' response to Batman v Superman and Captain America Civil War. It's all about, you know, okay, you can protect us, but are you doing the noble thing and being selfless? Um, and I thought, again, it's, it's balancing some really mature themes. It's a little messier than the first film, but it nails all the other stuff. Beautiful animation, amazing action set pieces, maybe the best of the summer. Um, there's a couple of action scenes in here that I just like, gripping my seat the whole time uh very funny does a really good job with a very sitcom-esque plot um it's just great to see these characters again when it all boils down to everything (laughs) and it's i think it's awesome to see elastigirl at the front because we've had i mean not to throw this comparison again but we've had like three fantastic four movies that could not get mr fantastic right and brad bird comes in brushes the dust off his shoulders straightens his tie and goes all right we're gonna make elastigirl the forefront she's gonna kick ass and I'm going to show you how it's done. And he does. Elastigirl really does kick ass. They all do in their own ways. They're all given good action. They all do well. But I also love how progressive these movies are in the sense that this is taking like, yeah, the woman can go out and do the jobs that men can and men are okay to sit back at home and watch the family like, like you know, so many households are becoming nowadays. So, um, they're both very progressive movies and I've always liked that. But Elastigirl the Forefront is really cool and I, I think that works really well. And I, honestly, I think what they do with their powers in this one was so creative. Um, there's this great motorcycle chase scene and the things that the creators have decided to do with elastic powers in combination with like this parkour and this motorcycle scene, it's it's jaw dropping. It's really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What sets these movies apart from other superhero films is that these characters are so relatable 
in their own way. And it helps that they're a family. You know, they're going through issues that a lot of families are. They're tight on money. They have kind of an ADD kid. They have a baby to take care of. They have a angsty daughter. These are just things that, you know, it goes... They might be superheroes with superhero powers, but they deal with everyday issues. And Mm -hmm. I think the first movie... Nate, you're right. They take advantage of the powers a lot more in this one because the first movie is about them repressing that part of them. So sure, uh, and it's it's a big. You're right. It's kind of a spy thrillery drama at points in that one. Um, this one is a lot more fantastical. It allows them to go free, um, but it also doesn't lose why we love these characters. Is because they're so they're so us. You know, everybody knows a dash. Everybody knows a violet. Everybody knows people married like Bob and Helen who clearly love each other, but may not have the most stable marriage, which I want to talk about later, because <laughs> we have to do a little couples therapy for Bob and Helen going forward. <laughs> kind of echoing my thoughts from Avengers Infinity War. I don't think it's perfect, and we can get into a little bit of the problems coming up here. But before we get into spoilers, let's do our ratings again. Um, let's start with you, Nate. What did you give The Incredibles to? Incredibles 2 is a plush recliner for me. Uh, definitely had a great time with it. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Definitely a bag of popcorn, too. It was just a lot of fun to see it in the full theater. Um, Honestly, my only gripes is that this one just doesn't stick in my memory the same way. Like, the first one's humor has some of the most memeable lines in the history of animation. Um, There's a whole bunch of great moments that just stick with you. Dash running on water in the first one. Where is my super suit? Um, oh, yeah. Great lines. Like everything Edma Mode says is so quotable and so fun. I feel like this movie has some iterations, but they just don't reach the same peak. Maybe that's the nostalgia talking out of my mouth here. Um, maybe my taste is just a little bit more like uh, nitpicky at this point. I don't know. But it just didn't feel as well put together as the first one did. And so it's a plush recliner, not a royal throne. Andrew and I have had talks like this when we were you know, roommates back in college. And this is this is always a tough argument for me because not that I had so many gripes with Incredibles 2 per se, because I don't. It's a really, really good movie. But it just doesn't have that extra oomph that the first one has that kind of makes you lose it. It's just, there's no, I don't have a whole lot of you know issues with it or nitpicky things per se. It's just missing that extra wow factor that the first one has. And that's that's kind of all I have to have to say. Like, like you said, plush recliner. It's hard to say what I like and didn't like when it's just there's something kind of missing that the first one has that the second one just doesn't, and that's kind of I don't know. It's kind of all it is. We've had this. I've had this talk with people before, and it's hard to really explain. But I think I did the best I could. <laughs> right. I, I've seen it twice now, um, so I think I have a better handle on what I really liked and what I really didn't like. Um, so I have more like I have less of a general feeling like you're saying Jake and I know I can pinpoint specific things that I thought this movie looks beautiful it's really well directed like really well crafted start to finish uh, it's extremely entertaining it's really funny um, there the bad things that we'll get more into uh, it has a pretty it's a pretty big step down villain wise from the original film uh, yeah the, the villain serves a very distinct purpose we'll get into that in a second but it can be seen coming from a mile away. Kind of bends over backwards at points to recreate, like, famous moments. Like the Where's My Super Suit. They kind of try to do, like, a callback to that, but it just doesn't... It just doesn't land. It's such a nothing. Um, but I would I would definitely give it a plus recliner. Uh, I think it's pretty great. It's a pretty great movie. Um, it's just not... It was never going to touch 
what the original film means to me and what it means to so many people. And that's fine. That's okay. Like, it's... I am basically breathing a sigh of relief that it's not a disaster. Uh, which sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it's really not. Because it could have very easily fallen flat on its face. So, having said that, let's move into spoilers. And I don't think this one will take as long, but... Again, if you have not seen Incredibles 2, this is your time to tune out now. Are you still here? You shouldn't be, because we're about to spoil Incredibles 2. Anybody have a specific place where they want to start? I think the villain plays a good start, unless Nate has something better. Yeah, let's let's start with villain then. Um, but yeah, to dive right into it, villain is uber predictable and not quite written as well as Syndrome, and to be expected, but... It was pretty damn predictable. Like, upon entrance, you go, got it, okay. And that was, you just knew right, right from the get-go who it was. You might have guessed the the motivation as well. Um, so there wasn't really a whole surprise. wasn't a lot to it like Syndrome was. Uh, and that was probably my biggest nitpick of the entire thing. The villain was just like, I don't know, not quite as good as Syndrome. So that was probably the biggest thing I had. Let's say who it is. What's, what's her name? Evelyn Dever is her name. Yeah, so her name is Evelyn Dever. It almost sounds evil to me say it out loud, <laughs> like evil endeavor. Am yeah. I am I oh, sure. reading into yeah. that too much? Nice. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, Nicely done. Yeah. Um and um so she's the person behind the screen slaver. And to be fair, there is this really cool scene where Ellen um as Elastigirl is doing some parkour thing trying to find screen slaver as there's, like, um, a monologue going on over the radio. Right. And there are some really cool points in there, like, you don't like to talk, you like talk, talk shows. shows. Basically yep. just talking about consumerism in, a, in society. And there are some really pointed parts there that really jumped out to me, like, wow, that's mature for a kid's movie. Like, this isn't a kid's movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Although, to just to interject for a second, I really didn't feel like they do did a lot with that. You know what I mean? Like, they mentioned exactly. it, and then it just dropped. That's, that was what I was getting to, Drew, is that there's this great scene where, like, whoa, there, that's some heavy stuff here. And then none of it comes up ever again. When she goes over her whole, like, evil plan of, oh, I'm going to turn the world against superheroes and... Uh, show the world that you guys aren't as good as you think you are. Um, it's just like, we've seen this before. It's the villain who's pretending to be on the hero's side, and then, oh, it's a backstab, and oh, I'm just gonna make you guys uh, look bad. And it's just like, ah, such potential. But you just didn't know how to focus it into a laser point that made it a compelling villain. Right. I actually thought... Um... I thought they were going to go unbreakable with it, where she, like, was staging accidents. Um, so I'm glad they didn't go that direct route, because I was like, come on, don't mimic unbreakable. But um, like you said, it is, we've seen that before, where, you know, um, they want to get rid of supers and yada yada. You know, the motivation's not exactly totally yeah. new, like Syndrome's was. Yeah, well, I think there's, but I don't want to shortchange it, because, I mean, the motivation is pretty... It's pretty sound motivation. It's it's just not surprising. You know what I mean? They very much established yeah. that she blames superheroes for the death of her parents. Um, and she very much blames uh, specifically this idea that why are we so dependent on you? You know what I mean? What have you ever done for us? So her plan to get rid of the superheroes is a whole other story. That's pretty convoluted. That shit is very convoluted, I think, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, it, it depends on so many things going right for it to actually work. 
Um, yeah. But also her screenslaver stuff, uh, so anti-devices when she's the really techie person. So, like, is that, like, was that an idea? I, I, I'm generally asking, like, what do you guys think? Was that the design of that character meant to throw people off her scent? I actually don't know. Because it kind of sounds like screenslaver is, is like, a anti like an anti-technology addiction kind of thing. That's what it sounds like. Oh, like, oh, you're also addicted to your technology. I can, like, brainwash you. But that's, but you're right. That's what she's good at. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I actually haven't thought about that yet. I'm just asking. I don't have an answer. I'm just, yeah. that was no, something that's an that interesting question. Yeah, don't look at me. I'm not going to philosophize <laughs> on this one. Yeah, I guess. I haven't really thought about it too philosophically yet. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so I think we can we all are kind of on the same page as far as Evelyn. She's voiced well, I think, by Janine Garofalo as the actress that voices her. Bob Odenkirk does a really good job, I think, as her brother. Um, mm-hmm. Looks like him too. Yeah. Oh, very much like him. Just the animation <laughs> in general. Intentionally so. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Jonathan Banks takes over. Uh, Mike from Breaking Bad. Yeah, he, I didn't he, pick it up at first. But yeah, yeah, the original actor died a couple years ago, so they had to fill him in. But I think he did a really nice job filling in. Uh, but let's circle back around to the action, I think, because, man, ugh, that what is it with superhero movie and train sequences? Because it always turns <laughs> out pretty good, and this is yeah, that's obviously the standout sequence. But there's also some really cool action on a helicopter. There's a cool fight in the Screenslaver's lair where there's just like seizurey lights that cause people to you know they had to put a fucking warning in front of the movie because it's so seizurey. Yeah. Um, but one of the coolest and most original scenes that we've seen in a film in a while, let alone a superhero film. Right. My opinion. Really cool fight scene. I think my only gripe with all of this really cool action is that 90% of it, of especially the memorable scenes, all involve Elastigirl. But in particular, Dash stands out to me as someone who really didn't get to use their powers in any creative way. Yeah, like I Violet. That too. Violet had some cool things where she can, like, throw her force fields around a little bit more. She, she's a lot more powerful in this one, as you would expect. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, super strength is is kind of what it is. They do some funny things with that, but not necessarily like cool action scenes. Um, Jack-Jack, we can go into him in a minute. Yeah, I was going to say, Dash, he didn't even mention my favorite action scene. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. Um, but Dash didn't really get to run. His main power, I saw this, I can't take credit for this comment, um, but his main power seemed to be more like pushing buttons. Because <laughs> he had the yacht scene, he had the car scene, the car, he had yeah. the, the house. Like, he pushed more buttons than he ran fast in this movie, and that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking that too, Dash got a little shortchanged in this one. Yeah, but Vi- to, to be fair, Violet kind of got shortchanged in the first one. Um, I think the my favorite person's powers, uh, Void, uh, one of the other heroes that gets brought onto the team once Elastigirl starts to gain traction in the public. Uh, she's voiced by Sophia Bush. She's kind of got like a Kristen Stewart-y thing to her, but she her power is to create portals to different areas, and they use that to really great effect, especially in that scene where Evelyn and Elastigirl are falling from the helicopter. Like, I thought that was really effectively done there. Yeah, it was great. Just like the video game. <laughs> it was really thinking of portals. I loved it. it yeah, it was very <laughs> portals, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's let's pivot into Jack Jack here. Yes, uh, please. Because as useless as Jack Jack, I'm sorry, I, I love the kid, but he was useless in the original. He didn't do anything really, and that's fine. No. Um, but in this one, we find out he doesn't have just one or two powers. He has at least two dozen different things he can do. <laughs> so, yeah, something something like that. 
What an absolute nightmare for parents. But so funny. They they played pretty much every scene with Jack Jack. Turned out to be a, a solid couple of laughs or so, like almost yeah. every time. Um, and I think that that was really smart, just giving him a barrage of powers to the point where like he's unparentable, untamable, unstoppable until you kind of just get a good handle on him, bring him to Edna, yada yada. Like when he, when he like when you first find out that he has all these powers, it's just holy hell. And you could see it all over Bob Parr's face. Great, great animation directing the whole nine yards. And the scenes with him and Edna are probably the highlights of the movie comedic-wise for me. Mm. Like, it was it was the perfect mix of two incredibly different characters, but probably the most memeable characters of this movie. Right. <laughs> um, like, Jack-Jack going up to Edna and, like, transforming into her face and then mimicking her mannerisms when like signing into <laughs> her secret lab <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is hands down the most golden point of com- comedy in the entire movie i loved it <laughs> see i would i would go with when he kicks the shit out of that raccoon i was just that raccoon oh. starts as su- such a punk and by the end of it he's basically jack jack's bitch like <laughs> yeah like running <laughs> Uh, he just and like, just the, and the cowboy music um, leading into that fight just sold it right off the bat, and then it right. just got better and better and better. I also got a big kick of how awful a father Bob is at points. Like, him just losing grip of his sanity, and you just see, like, the bags on his eyes. Like, he looks like a fucking psychopath at a point. Uh, my favorite mm-hmm. of after his... Like, after, like, a week. <laughs> my, my favorite of his horrible decisions is when... He finds out where Tony Reidinger works, and he takes them to the restaurant. Like, that'll yeah. be what fixes it. <laughs> this is that delicious water. That was gold. That yeah. was gold. Because that's totally how every dad handles their daughter having a crush like that. Yeah, that right. was very perfect. Funny. It was perfect. He asks, like, where they get their water from, and he's just like, it's, the sink, probably. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and tap. Yeah, Dash is like, this is delicious tap. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that got yeah. the biggest laughs out of my yeah. theater my that belly included yeah that was a good one um pivoting into i've been saying pivoting a lot i gotta stop pivoting uh it's gonna hurt my ankles um yeah, ross right exactly <laughs> <laughs> nice friends reference that was a plus um but i want to talk about bob and helen's ma- marriage a little bit oh yeah you mentioned that earlier we've been seeing we've, we've watched them for what four hours of movie at this point and i've we've probably seen about 15 minutes where they're either where they're not jealous of each other, yelling at each other, or just, like, stressed out of their mind. Like, this is not a healthy marriage, guys. It's not. It's it's not. You, look at Bob. Bob has to muster the courage to tell his wife he's proud of her. <laughs> they both have a, a lot of issues that they right. have to work on, clearly. <laughs> to be fair, because this movie takes place immediately after the last movie, we are seeing these characters at the most stressed We've there ever been in that their is entire true. Right. Lives, true. right? I was gonna say that the most like the most stressful parts of their lives are happening now, and that's what we're only seeing. Right, they're two so. weeks away from going homeless. They're desperate. Uh, right. they're, they're doing illegal things. Yeah, I can buy that. I'm not saying right after syndrome. I'm not saying that anybody's to blame here. I'm just saying it's not a healthy marriage. Just, I'm just saying that. I don't have Although any... he did show up almost late to his wedding in the first one, so maybe he's right. And that should that was just kind of like swiped to the side too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um. We we need to move we need to move on to our final movie here. Um, but final thoughts, guys. Jake, anything else to say about Incredibles two? Not necessarily. It, I think it's just a really really good rock solid 
um, animated slash superhero movie. Really fun time at the movies. Um, if you saw the first one, there's no reason you haven't seen the second one. There's no reason you haven't seen either of these movies, period. They're both... The first one's... The first one's great. The first one's absolutely great. Second one's really, really good also. You just... And they're for any, anybody. If you're five... Like I said earlier, if you're five or 105, you will like this, these movies. So, yeah, go see them. I won't repeat too much of what Jake said other than the fact that the bar for the first one was incredibly high and this one got pretty darn close. Um, very enjoyable movie. I'm honestly curious to see if they go for a third. Uh, it definitely has the money behind it. It's a well, the Underminer's still at large, so I think they will. Uh, true, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't know where they could progress the story anymore. You know. We'll find Bird's out. Bird's smart guy. So <laughs> I mean, he is. I think they yeah. will. I didn't really think we needed a a sequel. Well, I mean, I wanted one, but I was I, I wanted it to be the right story, and this movie proves to be the right story. It's a natural progression of everything that made the first one work. Um, it's not quite as good. It's a little bit more messy. Uh, it's hard to capture lightning in a bottle twice as we know so many times before people have fucked that up um but it's a really rousing really entertaining experience that i enjoyed more the second time and will probably enjoy more and more future just as i get to appreciate the art and the all the hard work that went into this Mm -hmm. uh incredibles 2 isn't quite incredible but it's pretty darn close in my opinion That'll do it for our review of Incredibles 2. So we did my first most anticipated movie of the year. We've done my second most anticipated movie of the year. Now let's talk about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. How many can you save? Eleven species. Blue is the last of her kind. A rescue op. What could go wrong? This is the most dangerous creature that ever walked the earth. Genetic power has now been unleashed. You can't put it back in the box. These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, they're going to be here after. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was directed by J.A. Bayona. It is the sequel to 2015's Jurassic World, and it's the fifth film? Yep, fifth film in the Jurassic World franchise. Um... I think it's safe to say, guys, that, I mean, we might have expected Jurassic World to be a hit back in 2015, but I don't think anybody expected it to be, like, top 10 all-time, top 10 globally all-time. We're talking money-wise here, not quality money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just to specify for the people listening. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ain't no punk like that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Top 10 at the box office, not, not in our hearts, though. So this, just to get into the basic plot here, this picks up a couple years after the original Jurassic World. The volcano is about to erupt on the island of Isla Nublar. That's where all the dinosaurs are held from the original Jurassic uh, Park site. Um, Claire and Owen are they're approached by a team uh, led by Benjamin Lockwood, who was a former partner of John Hammond that we had never met before. Um, and the plan is to basically, very simply, go in, get the dinosaurs off the island before they go extinct again. Um, the world is in this bit of turmoil state where they don't know, should we let the dinosaurs go extinct? Should we save them? It's a bit of a push-pull, given the events of what have happened in the past from the different Jurassic Park adventures. Now, guys, obviously, this is not going to make as much money as the original Jurassic World because that was such a lightning-in-a-bottle situation. So it's making plenty. Oh, yeah, they, it, it's certainly not strapped for cash, though. Um, how is it in comparison? Jay Bayona is a pretty good director. He's done some things like The Impossible, that big tsunami movie uh, starring Naomi Watts. Uh, he's also done A Monster Calls, which is a pretty solid drama, fantasy drama. Uh, he did oh, he really... did that? I like yep. that, actually. 
Yep, he did a very... I forgot he did that. He did a pretty good Spanish horror movie called The Orphanage. Um, so he's got a wide variety of films he's touched. Uh, Jake, so let's start with you, because I know you're the one... Well, I think both of you have seen it recently, but I know for a fact you've seen it very recently, Jake. Pretty fresh in your night, mind. Yeah. So what did you think of this? <laughs> so, little backstory. I actually probably like the first Jurassic World more than either of you, I would say. I know I like it more than you, Andrew. I would imagine I like it more than Nate. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. I don't love it, but I thought it was good. I thought it was fun. I thought it was entertaining. I was not a fan at all. And I went in with kind of low expectations for this. And basically the entire time I was like, this is so stupid. This is so dumb. This is so annoying. I was getting frustrated. I was getting agitated. And that was with low expectations. I was like, come on. What happened? Did like did it i'm pretty sold that like a producer's grandson wrote the script and then they were like hey you actual writer edit this in 24 hours it goes in production next week like what <laughs> what happened who wrote who wrote this and why did nobody pitch in at all i was so frustrated with the script like maybe maybe some direction was fine but i could not get over how bad this the writing was i was getting so mad <laughs> You lost some words frustrated. there for a second. I was getting so frustrated. I thought we were going to lose you. <laughs> <laughs> you were just, you were Elmer fudding on me. And Porky I could not wait. I could not wait to talk about it. Because I was not expecting greatness by any means. And I walked out still like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, mate, I'm, wondering if, I'm wondering if you're going to have more cohesive thoughts than that. Because that sounds like a say to shock. But if I understand correctly, did you say you hated the first one? <laughs> no generally i do like the first one i think it's entertaining enough to not get wrapped up in plot holes this one was not entertaining enough to cover how many idiotic character decisions there were i was just mad i was getting so mad nate what that do you think nate that's actually <laughs> an interesting interesting point because i think the thing that annoyed me the most about jurassic world one was the character decisions i don't think so much character decisions were the issue here it was just the, the direction of the plot <laughs> and just the decisions that this movie made i will grant that jurassic world's fallen kingdom tries something new with the second half of the movie um uh, 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 that, that sounds like such a backhanded its... compliment and that's that's because well, it is because it like... doesn't work <laughs> right <laughs> i was like where are you going with this <laughs> that's the gif of bart simpson holding up the cake that says at least you tried and then he throws it in the trash <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was not it was a different direction um but you could tell by the end of the movie that the different direction was a setup for the inevitable sequel that comes out of this and that annoyed me um, but most annoying to me was just the, the constant weird pacing of the plot of this movie, because the steps it takes to get from A to B to C is zigzagging the whole way through. And it's so cartoonishly fake. Like, obviously we're not talking realistic dinosaurs here, but the original Jurassic Park had some really cool, really in-depth philosophical arguments to make and the sequels of that original movie kind of um expanded on that in different ways but jurassic world and especially this one just fall flat on its face it's cartoonishly bad how awful the script is to jake's Our point there 
And are we giving the Lost favors. World and Jurassic Park three credit now? I'm not on the, I'm not on board with that. <laughs> 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 like, I mean, I guess Spielberg made the second one, so there was a little bit of craft there. But really, for me, like, I I know I've sent Jake this article, but Nate, if I haven't sent you this article that I'm about to reference, remind me to do this after the show. Um, there's an article that was published on ScreenCrush.com. I believe it was by a writer by the name of Matt Singer. Um, I can't confirm that, but it definitely was on Screen Crush. And he goes down and he talks about what has made the sequels to Jurassic Park fail. And the, the main scene that Jurassic Park has that makes the characters likable and the characters redeemable is the fact that they do not know they're going to an island of dinosaurs before they go to the island of dinosaurs. Every other decision that any character has made at any point has either been motivated by some kind of stupid plot contrivance, greed, so an unlikable character trait, or just stupidity. There are a couple of good directed moments in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, uh, but Jake, you're absolutely right. The script is irredeemable. From start to finish, I, I agree with both of you. I just think there's some major, major plot problems here. It just kind of plods along aimlessly, like you said, Nate, with nothing to say, really. Um, but I, I disagree. I think the character decisions in this one are almost as bad as the first one, if not worse. I think I think worse. There's a couple in the first one where you go like, oh, idiot. But but kind of whatever. This one, I feel like it's like every five minutes somebody does something. Somebody says or does something stupid. Right. Like every right? five to ten minutes. I'm like, what are you talking? What? <laughs> yeah. So, like, they're making stupid decisions, but even at the core of what these characters are, some of the things that they set up here don't make sense. Like, they just straight up do not connect for me. Like, this is this is a minor, 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 minor spoiler. It's part of the setup. But we first reconnect with Claire, and she is now part of a dinosaur activist group. She's part of a dinosaur activist group from that moment that does not connect with me. Because this woman barely survived a awful awful ordeal a traumatizing ordeal on this park and now she wants to save these animals like but, but even that does even not connect then, for me she didn't care about them in the first movie her first thing was running an operational park right not about the dinosaurs she talks she about them assets. Assets. right she they called t- them assets and that was chris pratt's issue that right. she just kept calling them assets and not living creatures she even puts the brand on the indominus rex remember she calls it the verizon wireless indominus rex yeah she doesn't give right. a shit about these things so right off the bat i'm like this is not the same character we've met like this is not even right. consistent different with... character but okay right. and then just from there it just kept <laughs> snowballing for me and my my other thing was like like i get this is a a dinosaur running amok kind of movie so you need action you need tension one i didn't think we got much but regardless it didn't happen organically. They made characters do idiotic things so action could happen, and that made it even worse. I'm like, so not only is your action not great, you're forcing it with stupid decisions that people would not make anyway. I just, <laughs> I could not jump on board with so many things. Like, you need dinosaurs to eat people for this movie, I get it. But make it organically, not because someone decides to do something stupid. Stop it. We're coming up on 2020. We need to be smarter about <laughs> these things. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, this is definitely a roller coaster of a middle seats podcast, everybody. We have <laughs> right. unanimous praise followed by angry Jake and the rest of us here. This yeah, is it's, awesome. It's like the descent, like we've been taking shots in between the breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm feeling a buzz coming on and coming up on right. drunk. <laughs> um this whole thing is fucking cartoonish. 
from straight down to the laughably bad villains here. And the worst part of it for me is that all this is happening, and it's just for the most of it, it's very boring. I I found yeah, it I didn't just, think it was exciting at all. Right. Like, I, we're not, mm-hmm. not very exciting. Like, I talked to a couple of friends who had seen it before me, and b- b- before I had seen it, they said, like, yeah, the plot's nothing special, but it's so entertaining, I was fine. And I'm like, all right, that's something. I did not get that at all. I was not very entertained for the most part. Which, right. for me, in a Jurassic World movie, bruh. What are you doing? <laughs> get done, goofed. Oh my god, I want to get spoilers. Yeah, so yeah. If, if we're done, I'm happy to go spoilers and rip this thing apart. He's ready. <laughs> this is the most I've seen Jake ready to move on to spoilers, I think, ever. I don't know. It's pretty close. Um, But yeah, there's not a lot more we can say, uh, because we're just going to be kind of treading water and going around in circles. But I will say this. It sounds like those friends of yours, and it sounds like a lot of the nation is very much content with just seeing dinosaurs. Like, okay, fine, yeah. whatever. Watch the original Jurassic Park. Uh, T-Rex roared, yay! Like, right. no, give me There's something more. more than that. <laughs> yeah. Jake, you're on a roll. Why don't you start with ratings? <laughs> okay. As much as I'm ripping on this movie, it doesn't, I don't quite hate it. Like, I hated Geostorm. I hated the recent Fifty Shades movie. I don't quite reach a level of hatred. It's a frustration. It's not a hatred. Um... This is like a soaked-in-mud lawn chair, not quite an outhouse. But, like, this is a disgusting lawn chair that you wouldn't sit in unless you were pushed into. I'm not a fan. Wow. I don't quite Oh, my it. God. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I was mad at this movie. Uh, I was not feeling it at all. Like, for me, this is, this is another damp lawn chair. Um, I wouldn't go so quite as covered in mud. Just a standard damp lawn chair for me. <laughs> it's... It's definitely competently directed. The shots are interesting. There's some fun camera movement to at least mm-hmm. uh, keep that technical side um, yeah. definitely passable. Honestly, even uh, well for a lot of the movie. Um, it's just you can't sell a movie just on camera work. It needs to have the plot and the characters to back it up. This one has neither. Yeah, I'm going to... And right. I'm assuming if you guys are giving a damn lawn chair, no bag of popcorns either, <laughs> right? No, there's, I don't think the effects are anything mind-blowing either. You don't have to see this in theaters. Right. And let me let me save you some time if you are on the fence about this one. The best, quote-unquote, best, most interesting parts of this movie are in the trailer. Like, watch the two trailers that were released, and you're good. Like, you've covered everything, including the entirety of Jeff Goldblum's performance. Um, we're like... Oh, yeah. God. The big, the most unbelievable cash grab paycheck I've ever seen. And I'm not blaming him. I just think it's hilarious that he saw the script and he was like, you want me to do what? Okay. For how long? Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll be there tomorrow and leave the next day. Like, right. Um, but I, I, I think we're all in agreement about this one. Uh, we may differentiate on minor points. I'm also in the damp lawn chair category. I'm not quite in the Ian Malcolm. That is one big pile of shit line, but that's still is reserved for Jurassic park three for me. Uh, there's no at this movie could have used an Allen though. That's what I'm saying. Like, because it's boring, <laughs> it's tough. Um, so yeah, there's no way to fully rip it apart without going into spoilers. If you've not seen Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, if you stick around, you're not gonna believe some of the things we have to say coming up. But because <laughs> you're gonna be like, this is a movie. So this is a movie about dinosaur. Okay. Anyway, moving <laughs> into spoilers right now. So, again, Jake, you're on a roll. Go ahead. <laughs> What bothered me the most? I don't know if there was one thing that stuck out the most. It was just consistently like, what? 
Uh, actually, you know what? No, I have an, a really interesting point to bring up. Why the fuck are we cloning people, and why the fuck does it matter? That, why is it a footnote is my question. Like, yeah, why, <laughs> why was it in the script? It brought nothing. There was no re. So, okay, we're in spoilers, so it doesn't matter. The, the granddaughter of the guy that worked with Dr. Hammond is in this movie. She's got a decent role to play. Who has she's never been mentioned, pro- by the way. This, this right, no, she's a new character. John, no, this partner of John Hammond has never been mentioned before. Right, all new characters. Um, the granddaughter of the guy that worked with Hammond is a de- has a decent role in this movie, and she's apparently a clone of someone that has died, I guess. I don't know. There's no fucking point. It doesn't matter. There's no reason that she's a clone. There's no reason that anybody wrote this in or kept it in the movie, but she is. Like, as soon as they said that, I was like... Are they going to go somewhere with that? I just don't. I'm not. And they, they really don't. The only thing that they tie it back to could have been done away with anyway. So right. That, that really blew me out of the water. I did not understand why that was left in. Yeah, she exists to validate that terrible decision they make at the end. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and But you could just say, oh, no, they're living creatures. Let it set them free and get the same thing. No reason she's cloned at all. Right. There's no reason. They're alive like <laughs> me. Like, get the with fuck out of here. Wait, uh, go ahead, Nate. <laughs> yeah, Nate, what's your biggest uh, issue? I want to hear yours. Well, I want to just go a little bit more broad just to get people on the same page here. This movie becomes a completely different movie halfway through because it essentially becomes a monster house movie. Right. Because yes. the the Indo rapper, Ingo, I don't Indo know. Indo rapper, um, yeah. Is chasing them throughout the house and they got to get away from the monster and um, avoid all the other dinosaurs and all that stuff. And... It's kind of just like taking the horror themes from the original movies and just putting it in a new location, which is interesting. It's a little different. Um, But it just felt like such a step back for me. This was another case of a um, super hybrid dinosaur that they made, which was the whole point of the last movie, too. Mm -hmm. Except the only special thing about this one is if you pointed a laser at it, uh, at something with a gun, (laughs) the the raptor would... (laughs) Would go after it. Right. A, why not just shoot the person you're aiming at with the gun? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was thinking that too. Like, this is a waste of money. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so instead of sniping it, you're sending a big raptor. Oh, all right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> B, why is this one-of-a-kind dinosaur only worth $20 million? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's like petty cash for Danny Jr. But yeah. Why, like... <laughs> LeBron James just got a deal for double that. Why is this? Why <laughs> yeah. is this billion-dollar project being watched by like two security guards? That a six, like a yeah. an eight to nine-year-old girl can hack into the place where this dinosaur is being held. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but then I think the biggest problem of all is that this dinosaur is literally a step backward from the dinosaur we saw in the last movie. Right. The last one was much more intelligent, had camouflage, had all these weird cool <laughs> powers go along with it, and this is just a big raptor. Yeah, you're actually, I actually didn't even think about that. You're right. Right. Like, it is such a step backwards for the series, let alone the movie itself. It's just boring. We've seen it before. Do something new. Oh, God. <laughs> I forgot about the predator powers that the Indominosaurus Rex had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it had, like, like little, like, flying discs, like ninja discs and stuff, too. Right, exactly. Well, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I... Even right from the beginning, like, the opening scene, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. Because there's one, there's like three guys on this uninhabited island of dinosaurs trying to fetch some DNA. Just like there's like four or five of them. Right. Immediately, 
immediately dumb. Immediately, yeah. you're all idiots. And then these guys in a helicopter waiting to take off are yelling at this other guy about something, and he goes, "What? What? I can't yeah. hear you. <laughs> I can't. I can't signal the other guys." Go to the hell. You're on an island of dinosaurs. Why are you alone? Why are you questioning it? Why are you not at the helicopter? Why just go? So right from the get go, I'm like, if this is the kind of movie I'm in for, fuck. Why do you not have walkie talkies? <laughs> Why do you not have a walkie talkie? There's I had so many questions. They pull the, the Jurassic Park card three times in that opening sequence where you just barely get away from the dinosaur, right. only to think that you're in the clear and then. Yep. The dinosaur eats you. Yeah. yeah. They pull the same card three times in the opening scene with the same character. And then they do that a million times throughout the movie. Because that's just the Jurassic Park card. Oh, your hubris got the best of you and that's why you got eaten. So, like, that's why people went and saw these movies to begin with. But you can't pull that card every single time. Right. <laughs> Gets old. <laughs> so, guys, yeah. I'm going to give you my inside Hollywood knowledge that I have. Because I think I know what happened here. Uh, Colin Trevorrow, back in, like, 2013, sat down with the uh, Universal, and kind of told them, like, I have a great idea for a Jurassic World trilogy. I have a great idea for where it's going to start, and I have a interesting idea where this third movie's going to go. And then they asked him, like, okay, so what happens in the second movie? And he just had no answer. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they leave the island somehow. I don't right. Know. Morbidly curious, I'll say, because they have not <laughs> earned my respect to actually be excited for the third one. But it's a new direction. It is a new yeah, direction. and that was one of the only positives I had, too. I was like, all right, not that my hopes are high by any means, but, I mean, okay, so spoiler alert, the dinosaurs are running amok through Earth. There, There's a shot of a T-Rex and a lion having a roaring match. They're, they're out with humans and everything else. It's a cool idea. If done right, it could be exciting, but my hopes are not high. They're just, I can't have them, I can't have them high after what I just watched. Right. Spend some time on a script, get a solid director, then then put out your movie. Stop doing it in like a month. Right. The and just the core character work here is just so sloppy. Like I like I, I already mentioned my problems with the character that Claire is now. Um but just the the other side characters, like this kid that they bring along with them to kind of be their tech expert, played by Justice Smith, a really talented young actor. He was in the get down on Netflix, he was in the Dear White People movie. He's a really good actor. Um, this kid is too scared to get on a plane, and you're taking him along to this right. island of vicious dinosaurs. Like, yep. there, this is an easy rewrite. Claire used to work on the island. She can hack all this shit. Done. That's it. Yep. He's there for comic relief. Yep. That's it. And a bad mm-hmm. job at that, too. Yeah. This, this other hippie girl they bring along, she, okay, she's more competent. She's kind of like a vet. She's able to heal blue when they need it. Um... She's the kind of character that just walks out of armored vehicles alone. Oh, this... yeah. Immediately, I was like, I'm was like, i so mad at this movie like, already. Which I want to see the brontosaurus. I can't look from my window. I'm going to get out and make everybody right. else go get me. Right. You're aware there's no cages here. If it steps on you, you're dead. Right. The only, ah. the only <laughs> justification for a character that made sense to me going back to the island is Owen. And right. one, that's because Chris Pratt is doing everything he can to try to keep this afloat. It's so it's so mind-boggling to me that they write Owen Grady as this, like, big badass, but they barely give Chris Pratt anything funny to say at any point. Like, how you play to your fucking strengths here? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, but it makes sense that he, he wants to go after Blue, I guess. Maybe he still wants Claire. Yeah, like, no, that was the only justification for going back to the island that I was okay with. Like, okay, all right, you raised this 
unique animal, you have an attachment to it, you want to go back and save it, sure, I, I can roll with that. But n- nobody else has a real reason to go back. <laughs> like, not even money, because you could pay me, you know, half a billion dollars. I'm not going to get it from dead. Um... So yeah, I think I everybody knows where I stand on this. You want to talk villains? How bad the villains are, and then kind of go into final thoughts. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, Nate, why don't you kick this one off? Because I mean, there's oh, there's God. a couple of main villains. There's rip off of Clever Girl, rip off of that guy, only more <laughs> mercenary. And then there's right. and then there's rip off of every other character, like every other like corporate greedy guy. Honestly, that's all I need to say is that it's the stereotypical corporate greedy people and we've seen these in jurassic park movies before where everyone's just um go over their greed the difference with this movie is that the greedy young guy i've already forgot his name because he's so forgettable is so incompetent to top it all off a you're undervaluing your dinosaurs b right yeah you are you give yourself the motivation that you are um okay killing people because he kills the old guy Right. But then he isn't okay killing Chris Pratt's character and the girl's character later, even though he says, treat them like they're dead, but then just leaves them in the cell. Just kill them. Right. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just levels of incompetency over and over again. You could have played it like, I'm not a monster, I'm just greedy. And it would have been slightly okay, but they just want to go full cartoon evil, um, bad Bond villain style where he, oh, here's my master plan, but... Try to stop me. I bet you can't. And it's just but dumb. what it's even so is his dumb. master plan? Like, he's just greedy. Make money. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah just stupid. to sell dinosaurs and make money. It's like Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Money, 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 money. That's, <laughs> that's his whole thing. That's all yeah. he needs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, that's his character dumb. boiled down. Um, yeah. It's just. I From the moment he walks on screen, you're like, okay, well, you're the bad guy. Like, and go, right. Uh, here we go. Yep. Exactly. Like, it, it's worse than Incredibles 2 situation, which we got into earlier. <laughs> it's way worse than that. Like, it makes that look like the big Tyler Durden reveal at the end of Fight Club as far as twists goes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think we're all exhausted. <laughs> I, I was, I couldn't believe how much I actually disliked this movie. I went in with low expectations and I still walked out. And people were clapping. Credits rolled and people were like, wow. And I had the same reaction, but with a different tone. Wow. Really? <laughs> I'm just still boggled that Jeff Goldblum has more lines in the trailer oh my than God. he does in the movie. He's basically just... Everything you see in the trailer is in the movie, as far as Goldblum goes. Right. Easiest easiest hour of filming and paycheck of your life. Uh, I don't know, guys. I'm just... I'm lost for words. I mean, Nate and I kind of previewed this earlier in the year when we first saw the trailer. We were kind of down on it. I think, Jake, you were trying to pr- protect it. I was hoping because I was like, right. it, it had a slightly like tense thriller feel. And I was like, that could be cool. No. It, it's kind of funny how we've kind of reversed here. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. the most down I mean, on it. Nate and I are just kind of pitying it at this point, I think. Um, <laughs> and it's those expectations, I mean, man. You got to right. keep them low. That's what I did. Do. I went in low. <laughs> After hearing some people talk about it, like you guys, I'm like, all right, going low. Right. But um, anything else, gentlemen? If I had to just sum up my overall gripe with the movie, besides the script and obvious issues that we've hammered to death here, it's that this series doesn't know what it wants to do with the dinosaurs. Like, are they forces of nature? 
Are they the protagonists? Are they the antagonists? This movie doesn't really know because it ends the movie um, with this positive message of how these creatures need to go free into the wild and all that stuff. Um, and you're supposed to feel happy that the dinosaurs have escaped because the music is happy, right? Right. <laughs> but the entire yeah. movie and the series up to this point is kind of given the dinosaurs the villainous roles. So That's actually very true. Pick, pick a lane or go into more of the gray area with the characters of your movie, the human ones and the dinosaurs, and elaborate on it. But this movie doesn't have any sort of direction with that whatsoever. White, black, or gray, it's just not there at all. Yeah. And that's why these movies are going to continue to be subpar until they get their act together. Right. And if we're if we're keeping them as the protagonists and we're, like, kind of trying to glorify them as these beautiful creatures, one, bullshit. Two, <laughs> let's, let's look at the end of this movie where the rapper's running in towards the city. Let's cut to the next scene where he's eating children. Like, don't leave that part out. That's what's going to happen next. Like... No, what? there's no sympathizing with these things, in my opinion. Nate, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean... Because you're, you're right, like, re- like saving them and releasing them was, yay! And then five minutes later, when the Velociraptor is overlooking a, a big neighborhood, you go, uh-oh, it's it's a lot of gray. Or even, like, the giant the giant water dinosaur about to right. eat a Just surfer. Right, <laughs> along with surfers. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a lot of gray. It's a lot right. of gray area. Which I guess they can frame as a moral dilemma, but no, you just don't know how to write a script, so... <laughs> Those are my final thoughts. I'm good. <laughs> um, I think I said plenty. <laughs> this is a phrase I like to use, and I'm sure it's not the last time I'm going to use it on this show, but this movie kind of represents everything wrong with, like, blockbusters. It's noisy. Mm-hmm. It's noisy but kind of boring. It's plotless and stupid, but yet has too much plot. Uh, the characters <laughs> are, like, way over the top and stupid. They don't, like, act naturally. Um I feel bad for Chris Pratt because he's doing what he can. And I feel bad for J.A. Bayona who does that – the haunted house parts at the end – or I guess not haunted house, monster movie haunted mm-hmm. house parts um, were pretty effective if I didn't see the whole thing in the fucking trailer. But, you know, that's that's just another – that's not his fault. Um, it looks fine, I guess. That's what's keeping it from Sleazy Outhouse, I feel like. Because now the more I'm talking about it, we need to stop talking about it because I'm going to start – <laughs> start start reevaluating. <laughs> Can't go to bed angry, Drew. <laughs> right. So let's end on a happy note here. That'll do it for our big return episode here of the Middle Seats Podcast. Before we go, Nate Lungarini, there are a bunch of places people can find us on the internet. What are they? Absolutely. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on both SoundCloud and iTunes. So check out the links in the description down below for all those details. For any questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook and Twitter, both at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Um, We also want to kind of direct your attention towards our spinoff show, Freeze Frame, where we jump back in time to discuss films of the past, both the distant past and the recent past. Um, This week, we're going to kind of continue with our uh, spring and summer cleaning here, our catch-up. Talk about some of our favorite films of 2018 so far, so be on the lookout for that. As Nate said, support us on all those social media platforms. Look out for our next episode. It should be coming a lot sooner than the ones that we've been doing. We haven't nailed down an exact schedule. We haven't nailed down an exact movie we're going to do. It's most likely will be either probably Skyscraper with The Rock, or there's going to be Equalizer 2 that it could be. It could be Mission Impossible. Just keep your eye out. We're back, and we're ready to roll again. For Nate Lungarini and Jay Kensler, 
I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everybody. We're back, and we'll be back again very soon.